So Abram went up from Egypt to the Negev with his wife and everything he had, and Lot went with him. Abraham had become very wealthy in livestock, in silver and gold. From the Negev, he went from place to place until he came to Bethel, to the place where Bethel and Ai, where his tent had been earlier, and where he had first built an altar. There Abram called on the name of the Lord. Now Lot, who was moving about with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents, but the land could not support them while they stayed together, for their possessions were so great that they were not able to stay together. And quarrelling arose between Abram's herdsmen and Lot's. The Canaanites and Perizzites were also living in the land at that time. So Abram said to Lot, Let's not have any quarrelling between you and me or between your herdsmen and mine, for we are close relatives. Is not the whole land before you? Let's part company. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. Lot looked around and saw that the whole plain of the Jordan towards Zoar was well watered, while the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan and set out toward the east. The two men parted company. Abram lived in the land of Canaan, while Lot lived among the cities of the plain and pitched his tents near Sodom. Now the people of Sodom were wicked and were sinning greatly against the Lord. Hear the word of the Lord. Amen. Thanks. Thanks, Don. Let's pray. Again, Father, we want to give thanks to you for the gift of your word and pray that you would be pleased to enlighten us this morning, that you would speak to us through this portion of your word, that you might align, help us to align our lives with your will, with your desires for us, to bring honour and glory to the Lord Jesus. Here we are, Lord. Speak to us, we pray, in Jesus' name. And everybody said? This morning we are going to look at Abraham's nephew, Lot. Many of you would have learnt about Lot over the years and through your own reading of God's Word, whether the Bible was in a cupboard or wherever you found it. So this morning we want to consider Lot. Uh, let me make this way... Uh, when you, think of, when you hear somebody's name, it's either engenders in you uh, noble thoughts, uh, that the person is a person, uh, someone who you look up to, it reminds you of their strengths and, and that, or their name is ignoble, that it um, discourages you, that uh, there are warnings attached to it, like Judas or Hitler or Lot. It's a very sad story. In fact, the Lord Jesus refers to both Lot and uh, to his wife that we'll read right at the end of this message this morning. Uh, Lot was a man who had everything. <clears throat> he had it all. Uh, he had everything that he needed to be spiritually successful in this world, but his priorities were too dearly fixed on this world, on having temporary pleasures in this life. He, like some people today, was simply content with what 
he had where he was at spiritually. He didn't want to strive any further. He thought he had done enough. And some people that you might know can have the same attitude. That what I've done, I've read enough, I've prayed enough, I've gone to church enough, enough is enough. And so they grow complacent. I think Lot is in the scriptures to remind us against that sort of danger that we can all be tempted with. In terms of Lot's background, you need to go back all the way to Genesis chapter 11 at the end of the chapter and the little bits of chapter 12. But let me just give you the uh, brief notes of it. His grandfather's name was Terah. That's his father's father. Terah had three sons at the age of 70, Abraham, Abram, Nahor, and Haran. Haran is the father of Lot. But while they were living in Ur of the Chaldees, in basically over near Babylon, um, Haran, his dad, passed away. Haran died before his father, Terah. And it would appear that Abraham, Uncle Abraham, Abram, took Lot under his wing. Uh, Abram married, we're given her name, Sarai, and the brother, Nahor, Abram's brother, Nahor, married Haran's daughter, Lot's sister, Milka. Um, and then it came time for Terah to leave and he was going to a place which was called Haran, the city, which is at top of Canaan, um, followed the Euphrates River, just went west all the way and when he came to the metropolis of Haran, he stayed there and dwelt there and he remained there until he was about 205 years of age at that point or somewhere around about that point the lord appears to abraham and says to him i want you to leave here and leave your family and i want you to go to the land that i will show you abraham does leave he takes sarah his wife and lot his nephew with him lot at this stage we is not married uh, they head down to canaan while they were in haran uh, abraham's wealth uh, has increased he's acquired servants as well as sheep and cattle and lots of other things and i would assume lot likewise had started to accumulate possessions when they went down to i wonder if i have that that's that part of it then they went to canaan and notice the scripture says and lot went with him and it says at the end of that what i just told you that while he was in haran they accumulated uh, much wealth but there was a problem there was a famine in the land of canaan and abram went down to egypt he shouldn't have but he did to live there for a while because the famine in the land was quite severe um, everywhere abraham goes he's pitching his tent he's building an altar and he's calling on god he doesn't do it here he just seems to have made a decision that there's a famine and i'm going and this is going to have an influence on his nephew, a detrimental influence because of that decision that Abraham made. So they head down to Egypt and when they're down there, that's where Abraham says to Sarah, you know, you're a beautiful woman and when they get down there, they're going to kill me so the Pharaoh can have you and say, please tell them that you're my sister. And he, she was his half-sister. Tell him you're, you're my sister and, you know, I'll be safe. And she does do that. And the Egyptians notice that she is a beautiful woman and uh, Pharaoh makes eyes at her and takes her into his palace and rewards Abram, the brother, supposedly, of uh, giving him wealth and gold and silver and, again, more animals and servants, and he prospers through it all. Verse 16, he treated Abram well for her sake, and Abram acquired sheep and cattle, male and female, donkeys, 
male and female servants, and camels. Just as an aside, you don't need to know this, but it's just curious to know. When I was in theological college, which was too many decades ago now, there was a huge ruckus that the book of Genesis was not historically accurate. Why? Because there were no camels in Egypt at that time. Guess what? Yes, there were. The Bible turns out to be true, but um, 40 years ago, scholars were turning themselves inside out of why does it say camels? And now we know archaeologically, historically, yeah, they had camels. So the Bible, when it mentions it, is exactly right. Well, Moses, I think, is not the author of Genesis. I think he's the one who compiled it. He puts it together. There is a whole series of books that I want to refer to one in just a minute. So they prospered. So they returned to the land. So Abraham went up from Egypt. This is the passage that Don read to us, uh, to the Negev, the southern part of Canaan, with his wife and everything that he had. And Lot went with him. Now Lot, who was moving about with Abraham, also had flocks and herds and tents. So that's by way of background. He certainly had his challenges. He, wherever he, when he was with Abraham, he was blessed. But Lot was also a person who has his own challenges. He lost his dad when he was a young person. And so, you know, the shock of that and the cloud that settles over the family would have been part of his upbringing and his life. When he was with Abraham, uh, Abraham was acting like a spiritual mentor to him, was greatly helping him. And that would be helpful for us as well, to have somebody who is uh, ahead of us in the faith, somebody who can counsel us, encourage us, support us, call us to account, whatever. We all need somebody like that in our life. And if you don't have someone like that in your life, let me encourage you to seek that person out, to pray and ask God to provide for you a mentor or a coach or a accountability partner um, and because he's partly one of the challenges he faced was that because he was wealthy his herdsmen and the herdsmen of uh, Abram who were at the moment dwelling together there, there wasn't enough room uh, for the bounty that they had and so they started quarreling um, having a dispute quarreling between their two herdsmen the and the scripture says that the Canaanites and the Perizzites were in the land. The reason that is there in verse 7 is to basically say, who's fighting? It's not Abraham fighting the Canaanites. It's not Lot fighting the Perizzites. It's Abraham and Lot fighting each other. It's an in-house family dispute, which is quite common, isn't it? If you have brothers or sisters when you were growing up, I bet you you had quarrels and strife one with the other because you live close to each other. Whereas you don't tend to have arguments with your neighbours as much as you do with family members. It was a bit like that. But the Canaanites and the Perizzites are not believers and they're on the outside and they're watching all of this going on. It wasn't a good witness. And the reason they're having this quarrel is because they have lots of stuff, lots of possessions. And it seems to me that the more possessions we acquire then there's more room for conflict and irritation. We are an abundantly blessed people. Certainly, I can testify to that, that we have a lot of stuff. And we're in the process, because Rhonda is retiring at the end of this year, we're in the process, she's in the process of pruning her teacher's library. And um, because I live in the hope of retirement, then I'm also starting to prune my library. It's hard. 
it's hard to let go of stuff that you have. And if you don't think so, stuff complicates relationships. And let me just give you the proof of that. I found a box in the bottom of a cupboard with my stuff in it, which I haven't looked at for 12 years, to which somebody else in our house suggested to me, you probably don't need that. Well, it's my stuff. <laughs> stuff has a way of getting into relationships. Well, it certainly did for these two guys here. Um, what a stupid suggestion. I suggest you don't need that. So, Lot was good when he was with Abram, travelling around and got blessed and had the influence. You never read of Lot building an altar or calling on God. It's always Abram that does that. But Abram is also the senior member of the tribe and, um, and the spiritual leader in that sense. Um, and he said Lot had certainly had his challenges. It wasn't all smooth sailing for him. But he particularly made some choices, and that's what I want to look at now. And the choices he made is what led to... The seed he sowed is the fruit that it bears, and it's a sad, sad story. Look at the choices he's made. If you have a look at the top of each one of these slides, you'll see that there are five choices that he made. And the first one is that he made a choice simply by looking. Lot looked around. Abraham had come to him and said, you go to the left and I'll go to the right. You go to the right and I'll go to the left. You know, north, south. You go north, I'll go south or vice versa, whatever. Lot looked around and he saw that the whole plain of the Jordan towards Zoar, south, was well watered. It was like the Garden of the Lord, the Garden of Eden, like the land of Egypt. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Moses adds a little note there, because it's not like that now when Moses was around. I want you to note, it was well watered. This is the southern end of uh, the Dead Sea. And back in those days, at the Dead Sea now, there's a large lake and there's a little bit at the bottom. That little bit at the bottom, I think, was where it is in that bottom southern part. That initial little bit wasn't there. And it was lush. There were five rivers coming off the slopes and on each of this, uh, those rivers flowing into the Dead Sea, there was a, um, a city built, the five cities. And that's what Lot looks at and he sees that it's well watered, the rivers, and it was like the Garden of the Lord. How would he know about the Garden of the Lord? Because in Genesis chapter 5, it talks about the book of Adam. It would appear that Adam had written stuff down and that was passed on to Noah and that was passed on to Abram and so on. These genealogies, these books, and that's what Moses has got and that's why I said I think he's the collator of these stories of Genesis because it's all before his time. The Spirit of God guided him. Um, <clears throat> but I want you to note here, this verse draws attention to the fact that this is Lot's perception. And what did it remind him of? The land of Egypt. Egypt was in the heart. Abraham could take Lot out of Egypt, but he couldn't get Egypt out of Lot's heart. That's the first choice he made. He, he made a choice by simply looking. He was driven by his senses, not by his faith. He didn't ask God which way he should go. He made a choice based upon material factors, not on what was good for him spiritually. And the other sad thing about this is that it's near Sodom. At the end of that verse, verse 12. So he went and pitched his tent near Sodom. 
was a lovely, lovely area, was lush, but he chose to walk by sight, not by faith. He didn't ask God where he should go. He looked at the things of this, time, of this world, of this time, not the things of eternity. He thought of worldly profit, not of his soul. He, could only, he only considered what's going to help me now, in this life, not the next. He thought of prosperity and nothing else. It's a sad, sad choice. Second thing, he made a choice that involved leaving. And his leaving means that he was walking away from the solid spiritual influence, in other words, here, that he never, ever reconnected with Abram, except on one occasion where Abraham rescues him, but Lot never seeks Uncle Abraham out. Was this a problem that it was near Sodom? Well, the next verse, verse 13, will tell us, the people of Sodom were exceedingly wicked and they were sinning greatly against the Lord. And Lot has chosen to go live near them. God didn't place him there. He went there himself. He put himself, he chose, in harm's way because of the material prosperity that he expected to enjoy. God put Daniel in a place of wickedness. God put Joseph in a place, in Egypt, a place of wickedness. God put Esther in a place. God can put his people in bad places, but when God does it, he does it for a purpose, to be a witness and to achieve his purposes. But when people take themselves and expose themselves to all these temptations, it's a very dangerous thing to do. Lot made the choice by looking, and that choice also involved him leaving. As I said before, he, um, he pitched his tent, but you never read about him building an altar, and you never read about him calling upon the name of the Lord to lead him or direct him. In that sense, it's a very sad story. And then there is progress. Sure enough, one step always leads to another. The next time we read about a uh, lot in chapter 14, it says, they also carried uh, off Abram's, oh, there was a battle, and his possession since he was now living in Sodom. He's gone from living near Sodom in a tent outside Sodom to now he's sold the tent and he's moved in, he's bought a house. Now, the scripture jumps over all of this for us. It tells us a story at the beginning of chapter 14 that when Lot went and lived near Sodom, Sodom and the other four towns of the plain, this lush area, had been invaded and were under um, the rule of kings who came from Babylon and west of there, east of there. Uh, and that they had been doing that for about a dozen years. In the 13th year, Lot's now living there, in the 13th year, the towns rebel and they refuse to pay tribute. And so Ketelioma and four, three other kings from over here, they join forces and they invade the five cities and Ketelioma wipes them out. He dominates them and he captures off everybody and everything and it says particularly in Sodom that he also took off Lot and his possessions since he was living in Sodom. He's gone from near Sodom to he is in Sodom. You haven't yet read about his wife, though Abraham hears about this and he gets together 318 trained men. Gives you an idea of the size of his household and wealth. 300 trained servants, equipped military types, and goes off to recapture um, the guys. And when they do so... Uh, the scripture says that, and Abraham uh, took Lot and his possessions and the women. 
and all that he owned and he returned and guess where lot chooses to go to back to sodom king of sodom is so impressed with abraham that he offers to pay him for it and abraham says no thanks and he gives his tithe to melchizedek but the king of uh, the king of sodom is so impressed with abram that he promotes lot because now in chapter 19 we read that his lot is not only in sodom he's now an official in sodom the two angels arrived at sodom in the evening and lot was sitting in the gateway of the city that's not just a geographical reference that he was sitting in the gateway that's a political statement he's one of the leaders the rulers the judges in the city of sodom people would come to him for counsel he was part of the ruling council that had oversight of the decisions that were being made in the city here is a believer you would never get it from genesis but peter tells us very clearly in 2 peter chapter 2 that peter was a righteous man a believer but he was vexed in his soul by the conversation and the deeds that were done in the city of sodom he's in sodom but he's not happy <clears throat> why is he in sodom because of his wife and with his wife he probably had six children is the way that i read it but now my point here is simply this is another decision that he has made he is now living in sodom it's a bad move uh, not only did he get captured and taken off now he's come back it's almost like god gave him a warning that he's too spiritually dim or dull or indifferent or something that he just simply returns to that which is very familiar to him and back to the city of Sodom he goes. So cho Lot's choices were made by simply looking, not considering the spiritual implications, leaving the spiritual input in his life, Abram, leaving not only near Sodom but now eventually in Sodom and now being promoted within Sodom. These are all the choices he made. And he's contrast to the, um, the person in Psalm 1 verse 1, where we have blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the seat of company of scoffers don't walk don't stand don't sit it's increasingly you see becoming settled walking with standing and now sitting in the way of those who are the wicked the sinners and the mockers that's the warning for us but our delight is to be in the law of the lord and to meditate on his law to guide us in this world this is not saying we don't have contact with people of the world of course we do that's what the whole series is going to be about that's coming up about being on the front line and being a witness for the lord jesus of um, being a contagious believer for him what this is warning us about is abandoning our faith to enjoy the pleasures of this world nothing wrong with enjoying pleasures of this world but if you abandon your faith to do so it's detrimental to your longer health and here is the most amazing thing of all i think about lot that when the time came so he's moved from being uh, just a citizen of sodom to now he's a leading citizen not just resident he's now a representative he's fallen he's backsliding and you might know people like that too then in verse 12 <clears throat> two men that's the two angels said to lot do you have anyone else here in the city the angel says to him you have sons-in-law sons daughters go and tell them and anyone else in the city that they better get out and they better get out now 
that text seems to me, and the Jewish commentators particularly highlight this, they're the six children that Abraham, that, that Lot had. And so now he's got Lot and Mrs. Lot, and then you've got four daughters, two of them are married because he's got two sons-in-law, and he's got two sons and he has two daughters that are not married, who are with him in the house, as chapter 19 will tell us about. <clears throat> when you add that up, it comes to 10. Do you remember Abraham interceding in Genesis 18, up on top of the mountains, Mamre, that the Lord and two angels had come with him and they'd had fellowship, and, and the Lord said, will I tell Abraham what I'm going to do, that he's going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities of the plain? And he does, and Abraham intercedes. Lord, if there are a hundred righteous people, would you destroy the city? No, I won't destroy it for a hundred. Fifty, thirty, forty, thirty-five, twenty-five, ten, ten. If there are ten righteous people there, Lord, would you destroy the city? No, I will not destroy it if there are ten righteous people. Guess how many righteous people there are in Sodom? Lot. Not his wife. Not his sons, not his daughters, nobody. Here is a believer, a righteous man, vexed in his soul by the conversation and the deeds that are done around him all day. He's not happy. <clears throat> righteous and completely ineffective. Who did he influence in the city of Sodom? No one. Who did he influence in his family? No one. Sad story. Let me emphasize this for you. <clears throat> so the angels have said that, and you know what happens. Lot goes to them and he sees them. Um, and he spoke to his sons-in-law, uh, who married his daughters. So they're married. They're not the two daughters in the house. And he said, hurry and get out of this place, because the Lord is about to destroy the city. It's the way he said it. Lot doesn't appear to be fully convinced himself that this is going to happen. So his sons-in-law thought he was joking that he wasn't fully serious about it and it would appear that he was not fully convinced at this stage he returns to the house he lingers the angels and now it's the next morning at the coming of dawn the sun's not up yet but picking any daylight has started um, the angels urge lot and they say to him right now hurry take your wife your two daughters who are here and you'll, or you'll be swept away and the city will be punished. The angel says to him, hurry. What does he do? He hesitated. I like the translation. He lingered. He's been to see the sons-in-law. You need to leave because the place is going to be destroyed. He gets up in the morning. The angel says, better get out now. What's he doing? He's dawdling. He's hesitating. He's not fully convinced. What do the angels do? They grab him by the hand grabs his wife by the hand, the other angel grabs the two girls by their hand and they lead them, drag them out of the house, out of the city, safely because the Lord was being merciful to them. But he lingered. As soon as they brought them out, the angel says to him, flee, run, don't look back, don't stop, flee to the mountains. When he pointed to the mountains... That's memory. Guess who's in memory? Abraham. Flee to the mountains. Return to your spiritual father, if you like. 
um, or you'll be swept away. So he lingers. He's dawdling. They're out of the city, but Lot said to him, no, Lord, my lords. Instead of going to the mountains, see that little town down there? Zoar, can we go there? You know, I don't know, because of my age or fitness or whatever it is. He says, I won't be able to get to there. I'll be overtaken, but I can get to that little town. So either the influence of his wife or something else, that's, he's lingering, he's hesitating. He's not doing exactly what God wants him to do. Jesus will refer to this. He lingered. Let me emphasize this for you. The angels had said to him, tell all of your family to leave now. They informed him, we are about to destroy this place. In the morning, they urged him, take your wife, get up, take your wife and your daughters and go. But he hesitates. So they seize him by the hand, they drag him out of the city and then they leave him. Just like in Acts 12, the angel gets Peter out of prison and then leaves him. They gave him the instructions, flee, don't look back, don't stop anywhere, go to the hills and he argues. He seems blasé, unmoved, blind. Remember the, um, the night before the men of the city, old and young, had come to his house and they wanted to have, uh, they wanted to rape the two angels that had come basically uh, and Lot had gone out and interceded and made a terrible offer and, um, and the angels had struck blindness on the men of the city. And it's blindness, not just physical blindness, it would appear, but it's a blindness also of a confusion of mind, like it in, says in 2 Kings 6. Um, they didn't know where they were. They couldn't find their way. Well, those men were still in that condition the next morning. There's no way they were getting out of Sodom, that they were stuck, lots lingering. And he knew some things. He knew that God was going to judge and to remove the city, the angels had told him. God knew, he knew that God was a God who keeps his word and God does just as he says he will do. He knew that there was danger. He did go to his sons-in-law and tell them, even though he may not have been fully convinced of it himself. And he certainly heard the angels say, arise, take your wife and go now. But he lingers. Amazing, isn't it? Right at the end. Well, what does all of this mean for us? Here was a whole series of applications, things that I got out of or that I found that we can share together. Um, <clears throat> just before I give you that, let me say this. Many Christians are just the same as Lot. We know far more than we live or practice. We understand more than we implement in our lives. And we do so for many years. We're not in any great hurry. We're sort of like standing still. We're lingering in this world. And we seem to be content to do so. They don't want to upset anybody, forgetting the fact that it's not people that we are aiming to please or should be pleasing, but in fact it's we are to be God-pleasers first and foremost. There is an urgency about us following the Lord Jesus and we need to do so without compromise. There are two questions one commentator or preacher asked. He said, um, there are two questions that everybody must ask themselves. First question, heaven or hell? Choice. Heaven or hell and everybody goes heaven second question heaven or earth and here's the rub that's Lot's problem heaven or earth and Lot picked earth 
here and there. He does go to heaven, but he gets in by the skin of his teeth, so to speak. He gets in as saved through fire, without any spiritual fruit, as much as we have been informed. Somebody suggested we should compare Lot to the prodigal son. Both had great resources, both set their eyes on a distant country, the things of this world. Both lost all that they had in that distant country, the Lot that was in Sodom. But there is one difference between Lot and the prodigal son. The prodigal son came to his senses. We never read that Lot did. We never read that he repented. We never read that. The path of sin is always downhill. So we need to choose carefully. Lot made all of these choices and it was downhill for him. He thought he was going into prosperity and he went into spiritual disaster and he ended up uh, losing everything. I know people who take very good jobs and they go to different cities and different places but they never ask the question, is there a good church there? Are there the fellowship of God's people there? Or is it just all about the money and the business? And sadly, some people make those choices even today. We need to consider our spiritual health in all of the situations and circumstances of our life. And as I think I've already told you, when the angel said flee to the mountains, in fact, they were saying, return to Abraham. Connect up again. And sadly, because assuming by the names of the two children that his daughters would have, who lived east of the Jordan River, it would appear that Abraham, instead of going west to the mountains of memory, um, went east across the Jordan. He went the opposite direction. Um, Book of Romans, uh, the Apostle Paul says, um, in view of God's grace and mercy to us and all that he has done for us, we ought to commit our lives to him, offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, which is our reasonable response. It's our spiritual act of worship, what we should do. We shouldn't conform to the world, but we should be renewed in our minds as we commit ourselves to God. Lot did the exact opposite. He doesn't commit himself to God. He's not being renewed in his mind and he is conforming to the world. It's a warning. That's why he's in the scriptures for us. In Acts chapter 14, the Apostle Paul tells a group of people that God has not left himself without witness. And in this story, God certainly hasn't. There was Abraham. He was a witness. There's Melchizedek in the city of Jerusalem. He's a believer in God. He's a witness. There is Job over in the east and there was Lot. He was supposed to be a witness, but he got caught up in the things of this world. Spurgeon says of Lot, Lot did not cease to be a righteous man, but he did cease to be a faithful witness for God. He didn't cease to be a righteous man, but he did cease to be a faithful witness for God. Well, I've told you a couple of times now, Lot was not happy. Well, then why didn't he leave? My answer is because of his wife. She liked Sodom. She was probably from Sodom. When he moved his tent near Sodom, that's probably where they met. And that's probably the reason why he retired from pasturing, sold his tent, maybe got rid of all of his animals and herds, sold them all off and moved back into the city. Probably. Not told this. This is my guess. Um, because she liked the entertainment. She liked all the facilities that Sodom had to offer. It was her influence. That's why he's there and he's not happy. He's out of step with God. Who are the happiest people in the world? The happiest people in the world are Christians. 
Who are the unhappiest people in the world? The unhappiest people in the world are Christians. The happiest people in the world are Christians who are walking with God, in step with the Spirit, who are obedient to Him. The joy of the Lord is their strength. The happiest people in the world are Christians. The unhappiest people in the world? Christians who are disobedient. They're miserable. Because they're not doing what God wants them to do. Lot was not happy because he wasn't doing what God wanted him to do. Moab and Ammon, that awful story that lots of commentators, and I think Calvin being maybe one of them, said this is a passage of scripture that you read but you don't preach. What his daughters did is terrible. And it is, but it's in the scriptures. God put it there for us to learn from. And the names of his two sons, this is his legacy. And there's a spiritual point to make out of this. Moab and Ammon are the two sons of Lot through his daughters. Moab and Ammon, who are east of Israel, east of Canaan, uh, become the enemies of Israel, God's people in the future. And I have no doubt that Lot did the right thing, that he fathered those boys and that he, he raised them. Here is a believer raising the future enemies of God's people. That's Satan at work, isn't it? Satan using God's people to bring about harm and danger in the future for God's people. It's a spiritual battle that we are involved in. And I put this up here because... If you just read the book of Genesis, well, when I read the book of Genesis, I would not draw the conclusion that Lot was a righteous man. I would not draw that conclusion. But God does. Because in 2 Peter, he says he was a righteous man. He was vexed in his soul daily by all the things that he heard and saw. God's perspective on our spiritual state is very different to ours. I'd say that to you to inform you but to encourage you. We don't know each other's spiritual state. We don't know if a loved one has died and passed away. We don't know their spiritual state, ultimately. You can only judge it by their fruit, by their lifestyle. And it either gives you reasons to have hope that they are saved, or there is no fruit, and so we have no reasons to have hope that they were saved. But God's perspective can be very different to ours, and He is the one who makes that decision. Finally, let me read to you this. These are the words of the Lord Jesus, and I'll close with this. This is Luke 17. Likewise, as it was also in the days of Lot, they ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted and they built. But on the day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even so will it be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. In that day, those who are on the housetop and his goods are in his house let them not go down uh, to, get their, um, to get their goods or they'll, to take them away. And likewise, the one who is in the field, let them not turn back. Jesus says, remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life will preserve it. Whoever seeks to save his life in the here and now will ultimately lose everything. You leave it all behind. But whoever loses his life, who is focused on God's kingdom and his purposes, is committing time and effort and energy and resources to it, you'll preserve it. Lot made choices and failed. 
God is saying to us, you must likewise make choices. Choose carefully. Let's pray. Lord, your word contains warnings as well as great encouragement and blessing to us. May the words, these words about this man Lot, Lord, may they linger long in our minds and in our hearts and may they have the desired impact, your impact on us that we might live out your purposes, that we might not conform to the world but dedicate and submit ourselves completely and wholly to you so that you might be glorified and that we might be blessed and rewarded in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Darrell, for that message. Um, please join us uh, as we sing our last song, Christ is Enough. Please rise.
take your little containers you can just hang on to them just for the moment if you want to open them you can it's up to you I'll give you time to do it later if you've decided to follow Jesus then I invite you now to eat with us and to drink with us in remembrance of him and to recommit ourselves to following him no turning back the world behind us and his cross before us the scripture says um, Paul writing, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. If you know the Lord, if you love the Lord, and if you want to serve the Lord, then now, you, if you haven't already, rip off that just that top clear cellophane um, cover. And then if you'd like to take a piece of manna, what is it? If you take that, I'm going to pray. Lord, it's such a simple process of eating and drinking that you've given to us to remember you. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you, in complete obedience to the Father's will, came into our world and lived in complete submission and obedience to him in order that we might be saved, reconciled, restored to our Heavenly Father and making us not just brothers and sisters, but members of your family forever. We are grateful and we thank you. In your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. So now in remembrance of the Lord Jesus, take the bread and let's eat together in remembrance of him. If you, if you haven't tried to get that sorted off without spilling. This juice reminds us of the new covenant, the covenant the Lord Jesus brought into place. It's in his blood and it's by his blood that all of our sins are forgiven and that we are reconciled to the Father. And we do this in remembrance of that truth, in remembrance of him. Let's drink together. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you are a merciful and gracious God, that you have 
pursued us and reconciled us. Lord, I pray that you would keep us strong in the Lord Jesus, that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit, that you would help us to walk with Jesus every day until he comes again. We ask, Lord, that you would uh, take us us and use us uh, in all of our conversations and all of our contacts. Help us to be salt and light in the world. Deliver us from being like Lot. Help us to be like Jesus. In his name I pray. May God bless you, each and every one. May God go before you in the days of this week. And may you know his peace and his presence until we meet again. God bless.